Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the living water that you give to us in Christ alone. Lord, as you look down upon this sinful race, Lord, you could have determined to just be rid of us and our rebellion against you and our pride and arrogance. But Lord, you chose to love us. You loved us in this manner that you sent your son, your only son, to die on the cross for our sins. That we might have eternal life in him. Oh Lord, today let us see the glory of Jesus Christ. Our only mediator. Our only way of salvation. And Lord, let us trust in Him alone. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verse Verses 15 through 23 this morning, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. We are in the midst of celebrating the Reformation, celebrating the Reformation, and October 31st is not just Halloween. Uh, greater yet, it is Reformation Day. Uh, that's what I like to celebrate on October 31st. It's Reformation Day. That marks the day that Luther pinned his 95 theses on the door at the church there in Wittenberg and sparked the Protestant Reformation, uh, what we uh, have benefited from even today. And so as we begin to celebrate, and this, this year is the 500th year anniversary of that, so to mark that 500-year anniversary, we've been going through this series of celebrating the Reformation, and we've been looking at the five hallmarks of the Reformation, known by many as the five solas of the Reformation, sola being the Latin term for only or alone. And so, so far, we've looked at sola scriptura, sola scriptura, our final authority for life and doctrine is Scripture alone. And then we looked at sola gratia, sola gratia. Our only method of salvation is God's grace alone. And then last time we looked at sola fide, sola fide. Our only means of salvation, our only means of justification is faith alone. And today we come to the fourth sola, solus Christus, solus Christus, which is our only mediator between us and God the Father is Christ alone, Christ alone. 
So if you have found your place there in Colossians chapter 1, stand with me, if you will, in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. I'm actually going to go up and start in, in verse 13 to kind of help you get a little more of the context here. Paul writing to the church there in Colossae. He says, He, that is God the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the, the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, Doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Well, today there is a, a push in our society for syncretism. Uh, syncretism is that uh, of bringing all world religions together. Uh, in other words, there's this push to, to kind of uh, kind of get rid of Christianity, get rid of Buddhism, uh, or, or not so much get rid of them, but just bring them all together. And so many people have this idea, and this is kind of the mindset of especially the more secular population. Uh, many people have this idea that all roads lead to God. All roads lead to God. So we just need to come together, and if you want to, to worship Buddha, then that's okay because that goes to God. If you want to worship Allah, that's okay because it goes to God. If you want to worship Christ, that's okay. He goes to God too. All of these roads, they all end up at the same place, so let's just get along. And that's, the, and that's why so many in the secular culture have such a problem with Christianity conservative biblical Christianity because Christianity says uh, that we are saved by Christ alone and so they don't like the ex exclusivity of Christianity and they want to get rid of that exclusivity altogether let's just get along 
Let's just get along. Let's come together and, and let's just say everybody goes to the same place. Uh, let's just take that approach. And actually, there has been a shift even amongst professing conservative evangelicals. The Barna Group, which is a uh, group of kind of a Christian organization, if you will, that does different surveys. You've probably heard of them before. But the Barna Group did a survey, and they asked this question. Do you find the following statement objectionable or not objectionable? Christians, Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, and others all pray to the same God, even though they use different names for that God. You know, two-thirds of professing conservative evangelicals did not find that statement uh, at all objectionable. Two-thirds of professing conservative evangelicals said, yeah, that's, that's, that might be right. In fact, what we see in many of our mainline denominations, they are beginning to alter their view. They are beginning to shift with culture. And they are starting to adopt doctrine that says that Christ is one way to God. Not the only way, but one way This is not a new problem. This is a problem that uh, was very, uh, very much similar to what the Reformers were facing in their day. The Roman Catholic Church, they believe that there are many mediators. Now, what's a mediator? A mediator is kind of a go-between. A mediator is one who brings us to God, right? A way, a path. To God. The Catholic Church says there are many mediators between God and man, Jesus Christ being one of them, Mary being another, the saints being another, and of course, priests. And so, you don't pray to God through Christ, but you pray to God through all of these other mediators. The reformers say, no, there's one mediator between God and man. That is Jesus Christ. Just as 1 Timothy 2.5 says. But perhaps today there are some even here. Maybe you like the idea of this kind of this common faith. Maybe you want to be nice and, and maybe you want to see this kind of loving kind of atmosphere of just include everyone. Maybe you've been, attempted, been tempted to, to kind of adopt that type of belief. But dear friend, I want you to understand that there is only one mediator. It's not Allah. It's not Buddha. It's not any other God but it is Christ alone. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. 
As we learn in our text today, dear friend, trust in Christ alone, for He is God's exclusive instrument of creation, new creation, and reconciliation. Let me say that again. Trust in Christ alone, for He is God's exclusive instrument of creation, new creation, and reconciliation. In today's text, Paul is, is very much dealing with a, a very similar situation here in, in Colossae, this church in Colossae. In fact, if you look over there in, in the text there, look over to chapter 2, verse 8, he kind of gives an indication of, of the problem that has risen to, to necessitate this letter. He says there, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. You see, here in the church, there's some of these, these uh, outside doctrines, these false doctrines coming in. And there are a number of avenues that are coming in. Uh, there are the Judaizers who want to make salvation by grace through faith, but not in Christ alone, but Christ and the law. And so they put the law as a type of mediator between God and man. And then there were others, of course. This was uh, when you think about the, the Hellenistic world. The Hellenistic world, they were uh, polytheist. So they had many gods. And, and so many of those uh, Greeks who lived around the church at Col Colossae, well, they would have loved to have added Jesus to all the rest of the gods, and, and why not? I mean, we got a lot of gods. We could add one more if you want to believe in Jesus and pray to Jesus. That's good. But, hey, let's not take away. Let's not do anything with all of our other gods. Let's hold on to Zeus and uh, all of these others. And there's, there's other philosophies coming in that say it's not Jesus alone, but there's new knowledge that you need, this special kind of knowledge that you need. So there are a number of heresies that are beginning to attack the church and come in and try to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, don't listen to these. Don't fall for these guys. But hold true to the one true gospel. His aim here is to correct this fallacy and to make sure that this church understands that there is salvation by no other name in heaven or earth than the name of Jesus Christ. So as we consider this text this morning, the first truth that Paul points out that shows Christ to be the only mediator here is this, Christ is is God's exclusive instrument of creation. Christ is God's exclusive instrument of creation. Look there at verses 15 through 17. That's the section. Now, let me give a little bit of explanation here. What we have in verses 15 through 20 is, is kind of a uh, well, scholars say it's either a hymn or it's a kind of a, a, a new. Uh, it's just a statement of faith. And so, one of the two, but here's we have this kind of an early Christian type hymn here in verses 15 through 20. 
And so he kind of, you, you kind of pick that up, and, and there's a kind of a, a rhythm and a rhyme that goes to it. It's kind of poetic as you begin to look at the language that is here. And so he tells us two things about Christ here in, in this particular text, in this particular new hymn, verses 15 through 20. And the first thing that he tells us here is that, that Christ is the exclusive instrument of creation. He addresses all of creation first and foremost. And so we see here in verses 15 through 17, he, he begins to show us who Christ is in creation, what his part was in creation. Look at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Creation. The first thing that we see here is that Jesus Christ is Lord of creation. He is Lord of creation. He is Lord. You remember back in the Old Testament, we see uh, the Lord used a lot in all caps, and you remember that that is the proper name for God. Anytime that you see Lord in all caps, it's the proper name for God. But in reverence to God's holiness, in reverence to his name, so that we not take his name in vain, the writers have put Lord, all caps, in its place. I believe Paul is pointing to that kind of fact here in the New Testament because when we get to Greek, instead of using Lord, all caps, they use that word, the Greek term, kurios. You see, we see here that he is Lord. He is God. He is Yahweh of creation. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. That is, that Christ makes God visible. God is invisible. We can't see God. We can't see him at all. He is invisible. But in Christ, he becomes visible. That's why Jesus is called the revelation of God. Because he reveals God. We have the book, the Bible, we call this the revelation of God. It reveals God. It's the written word of God. But Jesus is the word who became flesh. He is the full revelation of God who became flesh. And that's what Paul is getting at here. He is the image of the invisible God. In Jesus Christ, God becomes visible. He becomes flesh. He takes on human flesh to be the full revelation of God. John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Did you get that? In the beginning was the Word. John is talking about Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were created through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus is the, the image of the invisible God. John chapter 8, verses 50 through, 56 through 59, Jesus talking to the Jews there. He says to them, your father Abraham rejoiced that 
he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. He says that intentionally. It's in reference to the Old Testament passage where Moses is up on Mount Sinai talking to God for the first time in the burning bush. And he says to him, Lord, if I go down to Egypt, I go down to your people to take your people out. Who do I tell them sent me? He said, tell them I am has sent you. I am has sent you. And actually, the, the Hebrew word for I am is really very similar to, the form is very similar to the proper name of God. We see in I am the full nature of God. God himself is, is eternal God. He has always existed. He never was. He never will be. He's always I am. In eternity past, God was I am. <laughs> In the present, He is I am. In the future, He is I am. He always is. And Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. And the Jews got it. Because the next verse there says that. They picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out to the temple. Jesus is Lord of creation. He is God who created. He is God who created. Now we see here this, this term here, firstborn. Now what does that term mean, firstborn? He was the firstborn of all creation. Now, Jehovah's Witness will take that and say, well, see, he's created. He's created because he was firstborn of creation. So he was the first, first one or first thing created. But that's just not the case. That's not, that's not congruent with the rest of Scripture. And, and again, this is a, a, it's kind of like a, a verse. This is a, a hymn. And, and so it has that uh, rhythm to it. He says here, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And then in verse 18, he says, he is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. And, and so he's using this language to, to get the rhyme. It's a hymn. What does he mean then by he is the firstborn? Well, firstborn here means he's supreme. It indicates his Supremacy over all creation. You see, in, in the Hellenistic mind and in the Jewish mind, firstborn didn't necessarily mean the first to be born, but it was a, a title designated to the one who would inherit the greatest portion of the Father's inheritance. Remember Esau and Jacob? Esau was, uh, was the firstborn, Isaac's firstborn, 
But he sold his birthright, therefore Jacob was firstborn. He inherited his father's inheritance. And so this, when the scripture, when this passage uses this term firstborn, it indicates the supremacy of Christ over all of creation. He is the ruler over, the head over all of creation. He is Lord of creation. Second, we see here that Jesus is the instrument of creation. He is the instrument of creation. Look there at verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things. That's all inclusive. Everything. <laughs> All things were created through him and for him. That again shows that Jesus was not created because all things, everything that was created was created through him and for him. Jesus is here the instrument of God's creation. We see here kind of a, a, a glimpse of the Trinity of God and how the, the Trinity operates? Think about it like this. In, in the Trinity, we've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they function in, in a certain way. We see this evident throughout Scripture in different, different cases. So it was in creation that the Father willed. Genesis said, God said, let there be. The Father willed creation to come into being. Jesus is the instrument. It was through Jesus then that creation came about. And then you have the Holy Spirit who is kind of a, uh, an effector, if you will. He brings the power. He brings it into effect. The same kind of economy works in salvation. God willed that a people be saved. Christ came and became the instrument of God's saving grace. It's through Christ that redemption came. And the Holy Spirit makes it effectual. He brings it to, to reality in the hearts and the lives of those who come to faith in Christ. Jesus is the Lord of creation, and he is the instrument of creation. Third, he is the sustainer of creation. He is the sustainer of creation. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. Together, All things were created through him and for him, and he holds it all together. All of this, all of the universe, it's all held together by Jesus Christ. Your body, all of the, the atoms that are there in your body, making your body what it is, Jesus Christ holds all those atoms together. That's why we're not puddles of mud here on the floor. 
Because Jesus holds us together. He is our sustainer. So Jesus Christ is Lord of creation. He is the instrument of creation. And he is the sustainer of all creation. Over in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It puts it like this, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus Christ is Lord of creation. He is the instrument of creation. And he is the sustainer of creation. Christ is God's exclusive instrument of creation. Therefore, we must worship Jesus Christ as our creator and sustainer. We get up every day and thank our Lord Jesus Christ for holding us together. We thank him every day by thanking him for causing the sun to rise and the birds to sing. He is our creator and sustainer. He is God. And we worship him as God. So it is important for us to see that Christ is God's exclusive instrument of creation. And second... We see here that Christ is God's exclusive instrument of new creation. Christ is God's exclusive instrument of new creation. Going down to verses 18 through 20. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in him everything might be preeminent. We see here that Christ is the Lord of the new creation, that is, the church. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, For those who are in Christ Jesus are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And when we come to Christ by God's grace through faith, He makes us a new creature. He begins to transform us and make us become more like Christ. He is in us, working in us through the power of His Holy Spirit. And what we see in the text here is the same power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead is the same power that he is at work in us. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. You see, it's that power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead that is in you, working in you, dear Christian, making you into a new creation, making you to be like Jesus. And it's that same power that one day will raise you up from this world out of this body of co corruption and transform this body of corruption into a body of perfection. Scripture says that on that day when Christ returns, we will be like him because we will see him. Praise God that Jesus Christ is Lord of the new creation and he established this new creation by the blood of his cross and the power of his resurrection. Look there in verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, 
whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, Jesus Christ established the church by making that reconciliation. We were at odds with God, but Christ Jesus came and reconciled us to God through the blood of His cross. He died on Calvary's cross for our sins so that we might be reconciled to God. He established the church through the blood of his cross. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Dear church, we were like those dead, dry bones of Elijah, or Ezekiel, excuse me. We were like Ezekiel's old valley of dry bones. We were dead and dried up without any hope, without any life. And by God's word who became flesh, we became alive and took on new flesh to become a new people unto God. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He is God's exclusive instrument of new creation and thereby the head of the church. Therefore, dear church, we must surrender to His divine authority over us. We surrender to His divine authority. Christ is the head. We're hands and feet and arms. But Christ is the head. He is supreme. He is preeminent. Because we are His creation. His new creation. Created in Him by the power of His cross. We must surrender all authority to Jesus Christ our Lord. So we see that Christ is God's exclusive instrument of creation, of new creation. And finally, we see that Christ is God's exclusive instrument of reconciliation. He is God's exclusive instrument of reconciliation. He is the Lord of reconciliation. Look down there at verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Now look at that. Think about that. That's who we were outside of Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Remember Ephesians chapter 2? We were dead in our trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, following the, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, following the desires of our flesh. And we're by our very nature children of wrath. We were separated and hostile toward God in our deeds and in our thoughts. That's who we were. But in Christ we are reconciled. Look at verse 22. He, Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. He has reconciled us. He has made us uh, new. He has has renewed the, the relationship with God. 
We were enemies of God. Now he has brought peace. We have been reconciled to God through his cross. And all of this was for this reason, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Oh, dear friend, we were separated, enemies of God. But Christ Jesus, through the blood of his cross, has reconciled us. He has brought us peace with God by the blood of his cross And as we talked about last time, we are made right. We are made pure and holy, as that text says, so that he may present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We are made pure and holy by his righteousness. It is added to our account. Christ is the Lord of reconciliation who reconciles us to God. Oh, so many people try and try and try to do all they can to win favor with God, win favor with God, win favor with God. But Christ has finished the work. He has accomplished what we can never do. And though we were enemies with God, through Christ Jesus our Lord, we can be reconciled. We can sign the peace treaty with God. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, we are reconciled unto God. I wanted to read this. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. This is just beautiful. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, because the Uh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember this. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. No hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Praise the Lord. For he himself is our peace, who has has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him 
you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Dear friend, through Christ Jesus, you can have peace with God. You can have peace with God. We are reconciled by God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone. In Christ alone. There is no other way. There is no other path. There is only one, and that is Jesus. Other ways to God? The night of his arrest, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prayed this prayer. My Father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. Never, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You know the Father's answer? There's no other way. As his son cried out, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way, Father, let this cup pass from me. And the Father said, Son, there's no other way. There's no other way. The only way for me to save a people for myself is that you go to the cross in your perfection, in your guiltlessness, and you take on their guilt, you take on their shame, and you receive their punishment in their place. And I'll raise you up again to show you that there's nothing else left to be paid. And I'll seat you on a throne. And those who come by grace through faith to you, I will give them your righteousness. I will make them holy and blameless before my sight. I will make them into a people for myself. Son, there's no other way. Thus, Scripture says there is salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Dear church, Christ is our creator. He has given us life. He gives us breath day in and day out. And he has also given us spiritual life. We are made alive together in Christ God recreates us, regenerates us through Christ. Christ alone has reconciled us to God. Therefore, we must fully and joyfully surrender ourselves to the reign of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Are you surrendered to Him today? Have you fully surrendered all of your life, everything to your life, your work, your play, everything? Have you surrendered it all to Jesus? Give it all to Him today. And dear friend, if you're here today, and maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you've been looking for other ways, you've been trusting in other things, dear friend, there's no other name. There is no other name. There is no other way. There is one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. 
God says, trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. He will save you. There's nothing for you to do but to trust in Christ alone. Oh, Heavenly Father, Oh, Lord, we thank you for your revelation, for revealing yourself, oh, Lord. You were under no obligation to do so, but you revealed yourself to a sinful, rebellious people through your Son, Jesus, through whom you provide reconciliation. Oh, Lord, thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Lord Jesus, as your church, we surrender to you. You are our head. We live in obedience to your name. Help us in our weakness. We'll be obedient to you. Lord, if there are those here today, and surely there are, they've been trusting in their works, they've been trusting in other things, but never trusting in the one thing, the one person, Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, by your grace, transform their hearts today. Let them see Jesus. Be made alive in Jesus. By your grace, come to faith in Christ alone. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.